Amen. Okay, you can sit down. Today we're going to do topic three. We're going to go through the seven seals. All right, so it's going to just be an amazing time here together. So as we mentioned earlier, our, our topic for the series is Revelation, a message of hope. So the whole book of Revelation is a message of hope. And today we're going to go through the seven seals of Revelation. And so we're going to put this up here on the screen for you. So this is an image of what a scroll would have looked like in John's day and the, and the different seals that it would have had to make sure that no one was able to read it unless they were authorized. And so as a means of introduction, let's go to chapter 5 of Revelation. And let's start with verse uh, 1. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him, of him, who sat on the throne, and we're talking about Jesus, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look at it. So I wept, not a little bit, I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. He can open the scroll and loosen its seven seals. And I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent unto all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So here is one that is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy of opening the scroll and taking off those seals. So in chapter 6, what we're going to see is the opening of those seals. These seals are open and they present different scenes. We will study some history. We will study some prophecies, some biblical truths. And I will mention some things that can affect the way of thinking of some people that might be watching this live streaming or some that might be here this morning. But I'm not here to offend anybody. So when I talk about institutions... That have gone against God's will. When I, when I talk about things that happened in the past. And that might happen in the future. And that could maybe make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Of your way of thinking or, or your belief system. I don't want to offend you. I'm just going to go through the Bible and what it says. I'm not attacking any individual. This is not a personal thing. So you know we just want to study the Bible. Amen. So let's go ahead and start with verse 1 in chapter 6. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, and what did he see? A white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Then he opened the third seal, and I heard a third living creature say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. 
And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil or the wine. Then he opened the fourth seal, and I, and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Some versions say a yellow horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. So just like when we studied the seven churches, you guys remember that? And we studied how they represent seven different periods of, of the Christian history. Well, the seven seals can also be applied to these periods. In the first four seals, we see four horsemen. So I'll put this on the screen for you guys. So these are the first four seals. We see these horsemen on horses that are different colors. And, and they have different descriptions in each one of these scenes. But the main theme, and this is the title of my sermon this morning, by the way, if you want to write it down. The topic of my sermon is Jesus is Overcomer. Jesus is Overcomer. So in the first seal, it says, Now I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying in a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So here we have, like we saw in the seven churches, the first period of, of the Christian history. Uh, this is from 33 after death to 100. We're talking about the first century. The first seal is a white horse, which represents that Jesus is overcomer. Why do I know that he's the one riding the white horse? Because he's the one riding the white, white horse in Revelation 19. <laughs> So, you know, Jesus is the one riding this horse. So, we see here a bow. What does a bow represent? A bow represents war. Represents that the person using the bow is out to conquer something. Okay? It, it, it represents fighting. A crown represents power. It represents victory. Then it says here that he went out conquering and to conquer. So, the fact that the horse is white... It's a very logical and natural interpretation to understand that this is the description of the church in the first century, which was a pure church. They were teaching the doctrines taught by Jesus Christ. There was no contamination in the doctrine. So we have the first historical period of Christianity. So we have here the first scene, a pure Christianity, unblemished, the white horse, the first historical period. Jesus had mounted on this horse. Jesus is overcomer. Now, why did this period represent some type of a war? Because he has that bow in his hand. So you must remember that the apostles and the early Christian church, they went out to conquer for Jesus Christ with the message. And they had to go against the teaching of the religious leaders of the Jews, which of course the Jews were not only in Jerusalem, they were scattered all over the place. So everywhere they, they went, there were synagogues, and they would have to confront the false teachings of the Jews that had rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so they had to fight against the teachings of the Jewish religious leaders. But then they all had, they had to confront paganism because they would go to many places where there was not any knowledge of Christ at all. Actually, the only knowledge they had was about heathen gods and heathen practices and paganism. 
And so they were going out and, and teaching and preaching and healing and they were doing God's mission. And the, the early church, according to what I, I found in some of Paul's writings in the New Testament, they even brought the message to the Roman Empire, the whole Roman Empire, even to the house of the Caesar. Wow, amazing. So Christianity, it was growing so much that it was considered a plague. Literally, there's, there's some writings that have been found where they considered the, the Roman leaders saw the Christian church as a plague. We have to fight against this. But the Bible says it came out overcoming and to overcome. Victorious Christianity of the first century, the pure message from the first church. That's what we see in the first seal. So let's go to the second seal. So in the second seal, we have another horse rider, another horseman, another horse with another color. It says, when he opened the second seal, we're in verse 3, I heard the second living creature saying, come and behold, another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Wow. So here we have a time when the Roman Empire, which was fed up with Christianity because it was growing so much, they decided to get rid of it. So that's one, the red horse, which represents it's, it's the, the, the persecution. We see Christians being whipped crucified, thrown into the beast in the Roman circus. Others were used as human torches to illuminate the path where the emperor would pass by. Imagine that. You're, you're, you're going to the city, and the empire is, is traveling with his, with his team, and they literally light the path with the bodies of Christians that had been crucified. I mean, this was a terrible time for the church. So the red horse represents blood. It's the color of blood. Violence, death. It talks about a great sword, power to kill. So we're talking about bloodshed, persecution against Christians by the Roman Empire. So this is the first uh, century. We already saw that in the White Horse. So now we're talking about the second history century. So here we have from year 100 to 313. So this is the second historical period of persecution of the Roman Empire against the Christians. Now, we, we have to understand some things in that time, uh, Christianity had inv invaded, like I said, the whole Roman Empire. Christians were accusing earlier in the first century of a fire that was there in Rome. So they were actually accused of starting that fire. Uh, but then later in the second century, they're forced even to worship the statues of the emperors. To offer incense. You know, when they would have these sculptures of the emperor, they would have to offer incense and give up their faith. They were forced to worship the statutes of the emperors. Beasts of the Roman circus would eat the Christians. They, they would, you know, there's people that have gone to this Colosseum, and you can literally see these tunnels under the Colosseum where they had the, the line. And then there's a ramp that goes up to the center of the arena, and the lions would come out, and they would devour the Christians. There's, there's paintings that people did in those times where you see these Christians huddled, singing, as they are eaten to death. Crazy times. Many died there. Marciano, a, a poem writer, writes about that time and he says, The blood shined and the sand was soaked. Great atrocities against Christians. The catacombs 
They say that if you go to these catacombs, there are these tunnels that were made that are very narrow. And they're made in such a way like a maze. So that as the Christians would hide in there, it would be very hard for the Romans to get to them because they would have to go in one by one. They, they couldn't go in as a team. They would have to line up because they were very narrow tunnels. And they were created in such a way that the Christians could hide in many different places. They would hide in caves. They would go to the mountains. So this was the time of the horseman on the red horse. Bloodshed, persecution against the Christians by the Roman Empire. Then we have the third seal. So let's go to the third seal. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the fourth living creature saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. But do not harm the oil and the wine. <laughs> okay. So I want to go back to that, that, that line of thinking. Let's think in a logical, a natural, let, let, let's think of a, a simple interpretation. So if white was pure, then what is black? Black is pollution, it's contamination. So if the first church and the first seal was the first century church which was teaching the pure doctrine, then we have issues here. Black represents the contamination that came into the Christian church. Constantine the Great became a Christian. Of course, he was only trying to grace himself with the Christians. He built them big temples, cathedrals. Well, when you go to Catholic countries and you see these huge cathedrals, that was the mindset of the Roman Emperor, of Constantine the Great, when he became a Christian, to build these huge cathedrals for the Christians. He stopped the persecution in 313. He made a decree, no more persecution for the Christians. But then he had them compromise with the pagan ideology and the pagan teachings that were part of the Roman culture. So, so, so we, see, we see a situation here. You know, they, they were accepting the practices of paganism. And then it says two pounds of flour for a denarius, about 90 grams. A denarius was a small silver coin, which was the salary of a person's work for the whole day. So today we're talking about if they work for eight hours, we're talking about what? Maybe, what was the minimum wage right now? About 70 bucks a day? More or less? Yeah, so, so think about that. So you go to the store, and the only thing you can buy for $70 is two pounds. Well, not even that, 90 grams of flour. <laughs> okay. Isn't that crazy? And then you go home, and your wife says, and where are the tomatoes? Where, 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 where are the beans? Where's the rice? Where, 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 where are the tortillas? Well, you don't have enough money because everything is so expensive. So imagine this. The food was scarce and expensive. This in symbolism, in biblical symbolism, is talking about spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. The truth was scarce. There was spiritual hunger. Truth was mixed with error. And they, those that did want to seek the truth, they, they hardly could find it. It was so scarce. The truth was mixed with paganism. And then, and then it talks about two pounds of barley for denarios. So you're going to find... 
you know, you're going to go to the store and buy two pounds of barley, which was the food for the animals, okay? Of course, in, in extreme circumstances, human beings would eat it, okay? So you go to the store and you can only buy six pounds of barley for 70 bucks. Isn't that crazy? Extreme poverty. Food was expensive. In other words, truth was hard to find. But do not harm the wine and the oil, which in the Bible are, are symbols of sacred truth. So in the midst of many pagan teachings, the Bible was preserved. The Holy Bible was not altered. Wow. So here we have the third historical period, 313 through 538 AD. The truth was mixed with error and there was spiritual hunger like you see here on the, on the slide. So during this period... The church introduced pagan practices like sun worship and established Sunday as the Lord's Day. Constantine was always faithful to the worship of the sun. So even though he had been baptized as a Christian, he always wore a ring, which was the ring that was used to worship the sun. So he never took that ring off. He declared that all should worship the Lord, supposedly, on the day of the sun. Since ancient Persia, sun worship was very common and it was always done on Sunday. In many languages, they use the same word as English, Sunday, day of the sun, to describe the first day of the week. So that's not something that's, that's uh, uh, something you haven't heard before, but there's a lot of languages where Sunday is the same word used in that language to describe the first day of the week. The apostles... And early Christians kept the Sabbath as taught by the, the Holy Scriptures from Genesis, you know, from creation all the way through Jesus' time and the apostles. But during the 4th century, with Constantine, his apparent conversion, <laughs> he began to pressure the Christians to worship on Sunday. And everything that was applied to the sun and to the worship of the sun now was applied to Christ. Like, when is the birth of the sun? The 25th of December. So what Constantine did, he said, okay, well, they believe in Jesus, so let's just say Jesus was born on the 25th of December. And, and other practices were introduced. The second commandment was totally removed from the Ten Commandments. That talks about not worshiping idols. The fourth commandment was eliminated. And just, they just put there, you have to celebrate the Catholic ceremonies. So here we have a very difficult time. During this period, the Ten Commandments were altered. Let's go to the fourth seal. The fourth seal. So we have the yellow horse now. The color of disease and death. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, we're in verse 7, come and see. Verse 8, so I looked and behold a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given them over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. So here we have the fourth period of, of, of Christian history, the apostate Christians against faithful Christians. So, so, so let's, let, let's study this a little bit because this, this is really, really crazy. So here we have the color of disease and death has power to kill. So we're talking about the Middle Ages. Remember when we studied about the churches? So here we have from 538 to 1516, right before the Protestant Reformation. 
So here we have genuine Christianity practically found their burial. I mean, genuine Christianity was put to death. First persecutions were done by the Roman Empire. But now, at this stage, we have Christians from the popular church persecuting Christians. Isn't that crazy? So we have Christians persecuting Christians, but we're talking about apostate Christians persecuting faithful Christians. So those that accepted the false teachings, they're fighting against the faithful. Of course, the faithful were less and were poorer. You know, they had less income, so they were uh, really, really in difficult situation. And, and, and with respect, but firmly, I must remind you that the Catholic Church maintained control of the human consciences, politics, sciences, and religion. And look what came into the church. So this is the corruption of Christianity. This is when they're trying to bury Christianity. The year 1709, it is introduced to kiss the Pope's feet as a symbol of recognizing him as God's representative on earth. Year 786, the worship of images and relics is developed. 850, the blessed water, you know, is used for the first time. 995, the canonization of the dead saints, which they still practice, you know, even today. 1079, the celibacy of priests is introduced. 1090, the rosaries are adopted to pray from various pagan religions. You know, you've seen the little necklace with all the little beads, and they use that to, to, to do their, their pre-prescribed prayers. So we have all of this introduced into Christianity as the corruption of Christianity. And of course, you know, we see some other things like uh, the Inquisition begins, the church's police of the faith. So imagine a church with an army. <laughs> That's what they had. They literally had an army to go and persecute the faithful, those that wanted to practice biblical truth. So this is, this is incredible. And of course, you know, infant baptism was also introduced. So let's talk about the Inquisition just a little bit more. So uh, the torments of Inquisition, total religious intolerance. So here we have a few ways that they would torture people. So we have, we have this one here. Imagine how painful that would be. They would literally start stretching the person's limbs until they literally ripped apart. We have the, the pulley torture. Imagine being in that, in that position. How painful would that be? The whipping torture. So they would put in this, in this mechanism there, and then they would whip them. And if they did not resign to their, what according to the church was heretic teachings, they would literally die from being whipped. Then we have this, the trap room, you know, they, they would put them in this situation and leave them there for days in, in that position. No food, no water. And then, of course, we had the water torture, very similar to waterboarding. Okay, so uh, uh, only the devil could invent these things. Yeah, we have to understand that this was not something that just popped up and somebody said. This was the devil's inspiration. So the Catholic Church, like I said, exercised control over human consciences going after those who declared to express ideas or beliefs contrary to what papal authority taught. Wow, 
instruments of torture. Uh, there's a, a, a museum called the Inquisition Museum, and it's been traveling all over the world. I don't know if any of you have ever, you, I, I knew it was here in Dallas some time ago. And, and so you go there, and you talk to the guides, and, and you can ask them, like, why were people tortured or persecuted or, 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 or sentenced to these tortures? And one of the things they'll always say is because they were practicing Jewish customs. They were Judaizing. We know what that means. They were keeping the Sabbath. So even though they said they were going after witchcraft, because you've heard that. I mean, you've read that in a lot of books. They were going after witchcraft or people that practice witchcraft. No, they were going after those that were keeping the Sabbath. Once I was in Guatemala, and I went to this church, and they had some of the history of the Inquisition. And so I also asked the guy there, what, what were some of the reasons that, you know, that they would persecute uh, people? And the guy told me exactly the same thing because they were these people were practicing some Jewish customs. And I said, like, what? Well, like keeping the Sabbath, like Passover, which, of course, it wasn't Passover. It was the, the communion service. But, but that, was, that was the reason. So one of the reasons these people were persecuted was for keeping the Sabbath. Okay. So here we have some other things that came into the church. Year 1190, the sale of indulgences is instituted. So imagine, your grandfather died, he probably wasn't right with God, so you go and pay this money to the church, and with that money, they'll literally sentence him to get out of purgatory and go to heaven. His sins are forgiven, and he can go to heaven. Or, you could buy indulgences for yourself, for your past sins, your present sins, and even for your future sins. So you, could, you, you would actually get a certificate saying that you had been forgiven for the next five years because you had paid your indulgences. So now you can sin as much as you want it because at the end of the day, you have been forgiven for the next five years. So imagine all these, these teachings that were coming into the church. Uh, 1215, the transubstantiation of bread and wine is declared. What is that? Anybody remember what that is? It's when in the Mass, the priest blesses the bread and the wine. It literally becomes a new sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and it is literally his blood and his flesh. Now, that is witchcraft. Year 20, 1229, the Bible is forbidden to the people. So now it's chained to the pulpit, and the only one that can interpret it and teach it is the priest. No one could have a Bible. 1439, the doctrine of purgatory is decreed. 1545, the tradition of the church is given the same authority as the Bible, which in practice, it didn't go that way. In practice, it was above the authority of the Bible. So even though they, they declared that tradition had the same authority, in practice, it was above the Bible. So if tradition contradicted the Bible, you had to go with tradition. So here we have the first four seals. The period that follows, of course, is the Protestant reform. We'll see that in a few minutes. But let's try to apply this to our time because the book of Revelation, if it doesn't have an application to your life and to my life and to the life of the people around us, it doesn't make sense. So let, let's study this a little bit. So Jesus, the horseman on the white horse, can defeat the rider of the red horse of violence and war. Actually, he can defeat all of the other horsemen. So, so let's go through this real quick. So these horsemen... And horses represent real circumstances that we are facing today. 
Today we are attacked by the horse rider of the red horse of violence and war. Our families are under siege. Uh, today we are attacked by the horsemen riding the black horse of necessity and hunger, by the horsemen of the yellow horse of disease and death. So how does Jesus, the rider of the white horse, defeat these other riders? So here it goes. Jesus, the horseman of the white horse, can defeat the rider of the red horse of violence and war. Look what Jesus says. My peace I leave to you. My peace I give unto you. So, so today, look what the horseman of the red horse is doing. He's attacking our families. The horseman of the red horse with violence and war has invaded many homes, turning them into battlefields. That's why it's so important that we give our message to the people around us because we have many families that are literally destroyed by this horseman on the red horse. Families that are being destroyed by different situations. But yet Jesus, the Bible says his name shall be called Prince of? Prince of Peace. Domestic violence affects the children in tremendous ways. But only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can bring harmony to these families. And, and I mean, I'm not going to go way out there. Renee Drum, which is a sociologists of our church did a study nationwide on family violence in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the conclusions that she came to, I wouldn't even like to share those here with you. Many Adventist homes are suffering also from domestic violence. That has to stop. And the only way that can stop is going back to biblical teaching and to allow Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to be in our home. Every day, the number of divorces increases, leaving children confused or helpless. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brings peace and harmony to the family. The earth is full of violence. I don't even have to tell you what that photo is. You know what it is. This world is full of violence. So only Jesus... Only Jesus, brothers and sisters, the horseman of the white horse, the prince of peace, can defeat the horseman on the red horse of violence and war. He says, my peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you. Jesus is the overcomer. Now, slide, it says that Jesus, the horseman on the white horse, can also defeat the rider of the black horse of hunger and necessity. So look at this. Isn't this incredible? Every single day. So I went on the internet and looked this up. So this is a, 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 a data that is up to date. Okay. So we have 385,000 babies are born every single day. And they all have to eat. But there's a problem. There's not enough food. There's not enough food. Thousands of men and women and children will go to sleep tonight without having tasted food all day. And many of them won't wake up tomorrow victims of starvation. Many people die just because they don't have anything to eat. So there's uncertainty. We live in a world where life is so uncertain. But God has a plan for our financial struggles. Yes, yes, he does. Look at this. Worry is bad. Prayer is good. 
And look what Matthew 6.25 says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? And then verse 33 to 34 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Live one day at a time. God is in control. So we need to put God first. And how do we put God first? So, so, so check this out. People are going through financial struggles, and they need to know this secret, which you guys know because I'm so proud of Garden Faith Community Church. Even during the whole past year, which we went through the pandemic, our tithes went up. <laughs> that tells me that we have a church here that knows that God is first. And so, you know, as the Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. Yes, putting God first. And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Like Brother Small said in the offertory this morning, the, the, the offerings is the way that we support ministry and church and, and, and help others. But our tithes, that belongs to God. So a lot of people, they don't know the secret. If they knew the secret, wow, they, they would see things in a whole different light. The Bible says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the fountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. And Psalm 24, 1 also declares, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell within. So has this been your experience? For you that trust in the Lord... Has Jesus conquered the horseman on the black horse? Look what it says here. My God, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Has the Lord supplied your needs? Has he blessed you? Has he opened up the heavens and showered his blessings upon you? So we know for sure that Jesus, the horseman on the white horse, can defeat the rider of the black horse of hunger and necessity, but we need to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, we have another horse. Jesus, the horseman of the white horse, can also defeat the rider of the yellow horse of disease and death. Disease and death. So I'm not going to go through a lot of details here because we had an amazing sermon last week. Thank you, Brother Small. Uh, so if you guys just want to go deep into this next part of the sermon, just go to our, our archives of our sermons and listen to last week's sermon. So listen to this. Actually, this text was used by Brother Small last week. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commandments and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And these are the diseases that the Egyptians suffered, you know. Uh, all these diseases you see here, like heart disease, cancer, uh, stress, dental disease, all this stuff. 
diseases that are taking many to the graves today were the same diseases that the Egyptians were suffering because they were living a lifestyle contrary to God's will. So, the Bible says, Behold, I have given to you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. So this is God's diet. So, you know, we need to do a lot better in this. We, we eat too much processed food. Let's try to go as natural as possible. I, ha- I have a friend of mine. He's, a, he's a, a doctor. And it's interesting because he's about 80 years old now. 80 years old. And he has what? He has won several gold medals in the Olympics for the elderly that are held. I don't remember how many years, but at certain times there's these Olympics held for the elderly. And he has won several gold medals running and, and, and in other athlete, athletic activities. He's 75% raw and 25% cooked. And he is as strong as an ox. Incredible. So yeah, we, we, we have to do better. Drugs are not the answer, guys. Not either for our illnesses or for our stress. You know, we, we, we have a lot of abuse in this country of illegal substances. Illegal drugs. So I'm not going to talk about that. I want to talk about something that a lot of Christians fall into. Which is abuse of prescribed medicine and over-the-counter drugs. We want to solve everything by just going and buying a pill and thinking that's going to heal us. And so we got to be very careful with this. Drugs are not the answer. And one of the, the things that we used to do, I don't know if you guys remember this, when we used to do the five-day plan to stop smoking, later it became the eight-day plan to breathe free because we decided that eight days was better than five days and actually it was. The, the, the results were a lot better. But this used to be something church would do often. I don't know where we, where we lost it. I mean, we stopped doing this. And this would bring a lot of souls into the church because we would help them overcome one of the most heinous habits and destructive habits here on earth. Cigarette smoking and now vapes. You know, so, 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 so check this out. I have a, a slide here. Let's see if we can put that slide. So here it is. More than 480,000 U.S. deaths. We're talking about United States. U.S. deaths are from cigarette smoking. And we're talking about every single year. Every single year. So lung cancer, there you have 29%. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, 21%. Heart disease caused by smoking, 33%. Other cancer, 7%. And stroke, 3%. So... More than 480,000 U.S. deaths every year come from cigarette smoking. So do we have a message for this world as a Seventh-day Adventist church? I mean, one of the most exciting things in my life is being a Seventh-day Adventist. (laughs) Imagine, I don't smoke. I don't drink wine or beer or alcoholic beverages. Isn't that wonderful? And of course, try not to abuse of prescription drugs or, or any other type of drug. So, tobacco kills more than 480,000 people annually. More than AIDS, alcohol, car accidents, illegal drugs, murders, and suicides combined. Combined. Alcohol abuse destroys families. I don't know if I've told this story before, but uh, I heard a story once 
uh, this guy that was an uh, alcoholic, and once he had a dream, and he shared it with his family, he says, I had a nightmare last night. And the family said, well, what did you dream? Well, I dreamed about this big, huge, fat rat. A big, huge, fat rat. And then there was this other rat that was skinny. Only could see the bones. It was horrific. And then there was this other one, which was almost dead. It's almost dead. It's just lying there. But I don't know what it means. I mean, it was a horrible dream. And, and the wife says, I know what it means. That, that, that fat rat was the guy over there, the bartender, you know, that takes all your money away. Yeah, you're, 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 you're the one that's laying there almost dead. Because this is going to take you to the grave. And the skinny rat, that big skinny rat that you saw, that's your family. That we don't have enough food on our table because of that bad habit of yours. So we, we have one of our biggest social problems is called alcohol. Many people die, innocent people die on the highways due to drunk drivers. And, and, and the crazy thing is that a lot of these drunk drivers are the ones that survive. I mean, I don't understand that, but that, that happens. They kill other people and they survive. So alcohol is destructive. It's destroying many families. So now to, uh, to finish with the seals, let's go to the fifth seal really quick there. Verse 9 is the fifth period, the time of the Protestant Reformation. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out in a loud voice. Remember, Revelation is a book of symbolism. So these are not dead people that are talking. These are dead people that are giving a testimony because they died. Okay, this is their witness. This is not them speaking. Their death is what's speaking. Okay, so we want to make that clear because this is not a, 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 a conflict with the teaching of the state of the dead. Okay, so it says, And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then, the white robe, then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. So they're resting, okay? So the Bible is clear. They're, they're resting. Until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So here we have basically a cry for liberation. So this is the Reformation movement, which, as we studied in the churches, is from 1517 to 1755. So this is, this is the, the period that this seal represents and then we have the next seal the sixth seal so let's go to the sixth seal here real quick 1755 to the second coming so we have here in verse 12 i looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and and, and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell on the earth as the fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind so here we have some of the signs of, of, of the second coming. We have the great earthquake, which happened on November 1st, 1755, known as the earthquake of Lisboa, which shook almost uh, the whole earth. I mean, this was felt in almost every single continent. 
uh, the sun didn't shine or give its light, May 19th, uh, 1780, and the falling of the stars, uh, uh, November 13th, uh, 1833. So here, you know, people that were witnesses of, the, of this falling of the stars, they said they could literally at midnight read the newspaper like in plain midday. That's how bright it was with all the stars, <laughs> the meteors that were, that were falling. Okay, and then of course we have the seventh seal, the seventh seal. So that seventh seal is in chapter uh, 8, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So we know what the seventh seal is because if heaven is empty, it's, it's, there's silence there is because Jesus and his angels are not there anymore. They're on their way to earth. So the silence, which represents two weeks of of, of you know, that day-to-year uh, interpretation. So we have Jesus traveling one week to the earth with all his angels, and then we travel back with Jesus another week. So this is the second coming of Jesus. Like I said, Revelation is a message of hope. So the seven seals take us through the history and the advances in a linear way. Not a circular or spiral form as many teach. A lot of people teach that this earth history is just a repetition of itself. Have you read that in some books? I've read that in a lot of history books or a lot of, a lot of people that try to interpret the, the, the things that happen in our world. They, they, they think that this world is like a spiral. You start here and then somehow things just repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat itself. No. According to what we saw this morning in the seven seals, everything points to the fact that history is moving forward. That Jesus is the rector of history. And that the world does not drift. That everything is in the direction of the triumph and victory of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let us trust in Jesus. Let us prepare for the second coming. Because like I've mentioned from the beginning of the series, Revelation is a message of hope. So as we've gone through this uh, topic this morning of the seals, take this message of hope to those around you. They need to understand that Jesus is the overcomer. That if they are struggling against these horsemen, Jesus is still the answer. Jesus is still the answer. He's the answer for you today. He's the answer for me. He's the answer for those around us. Revelation is a message of hope. How many of you are thankful because Jesus, the horseman that rides the white horse, is always the overcomer? Are you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. I'm excited because of that. So let's stand up and sing together our theme song that we sing at the end of each of these uh, sermons of Revelation. We will behold him. Let's stand up and let's sing it with our heart because that's what we want. We want Jesus to come and we need to give that message that Jesus is coming and people need to get prepared. People need to know that Jesus is coming soon. We are called to give the last warning to a perishing world. Dear God and Father, we thank you so much for the book of Revelation, a message of hope. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to go through the seven seals this morning and see how Jesus is the overcomer. We want to take this message of hope to others, Lord. This earth desperately needs it. But first of all, we want Jesus to be the overcomer in our lives today. Bless us. Bless our church. Bless us as we continue uh, worshiping you during this Sabbath. 
And thank you so much for talking to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.